Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we discuss the theme which changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis. This week, in anticipation of what may be the cultural event of the summer, more than the release of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or Alien Covenant or Riverdale coming to Netflix, um, which actually I'm very excited about, but that's beside the point. The, the, the thing that I think I am most excited about, and I think a lot of people are most excited about, is the return of the David Lynch and Mark Frost television series, Twin Peaks. I have been re-watching the show in anticipation of this, as anyone who follows me on Twitter will know. I'm very excited about the revival, and I've really enjoyed re-watching the show, because it is one of my favourite series of all time, and also one I like to complain about a lot, but we'll, that's beside the point, or, or something that we'll get up to get to in a moment. But something that uh, has also come up in like the last couple of weeks uh you know people i've been talking to uh online and in the real world they'll say you know oh, this twin peaks thing sounds very excited i know a lot of people are really excited for it but i don't actually know what it is what do i need to watch you know should i watch the whole series there's a movie do i need to watch that there's books that are tied into this and related to this do i need to read them and i thought it'd be nice to kind of and to provide a primer for anyone who's interested in the show who hasn't seen it before or anyone who has seen the show and maybe has forgotten some of the kind of the salient points because it's been a while and they want to know kind of the, the basic details in advance. So that's what this is. It's a primer. It's kind of, oh, oh, and also, you know, one of the things I've been trying to do with this show while Matt's away is to kind of find new uses for it. And I think that providing people with a primer for something like Twin Peaks uh, is kind of a, kind of a useful purpose to kind of put it towards so that's what this episode is it's going to be a short mini-sode in which i talk about twin peaks because if i don't talk about twin peaks i will go insane i've i've been yeah i've just been tweeting about it endlessly because it's a show that um inspires a great deal of love in my heart it's a show that i i really do love and enjoy a great deal but it is also one that i find maddening for reasons we will discuss Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th, entering the town of Twin Peaks, five miles south of the Canadian border, 12 miles west of the state line. I've never seen so many trees in my life. As W.C. Fields would say, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. 54 degrees on a slightly overcast day, weatherman said rain. You get paid that kind of money for being wrong 60% of the time and be working. So Twin Peaks was a TV show co-created by Mark Frost and David Lynch. Mark Frost was a TV writer, is a TV writer, he's still alive, and obviously he's co-written the the new series, but uh, at the time he was a television writer who was probably most famous for working on Hill Street Blues, the wildly acclaimed cop drama from the 80s and he had written a couple of movies but but uh, up until that point that was pretty much the thing he was most known for he'd been nominated for an emmy for it and he was someone who was kind of uh liked and and kind of well known in the industry for his work on that show and david lynch who at that point was i believe a two-time oscar nominee uh nominated director who worked on amongst other things a razorhead one of the kind of the seminal midnight movies a kind of nightmarish explosion of fatherhood or maybe not who knows he's never actually said what the hell that movie is about but most people interpret it as him being shit scared about having a kid which he decided to demonstrate by telling a story about a 
weird cow fetus and it torturing a man who is then in turn haunted by the image of a woman with a head made of cheese hiding behind his radiator. Go watch your razor head, everyone. It's fucking great. Uh, and Blue Velvet, which uh, was kind of was the project he had done most recently prior to Twin Peaks. And in the mid-80s, they were kind of teamed up by their mutual agent who said that they seemed to share kind of certain sensibilities and they might get on together and they became kind of close friends and they wrote a lot of scripts for movies that didn't get made. But out of that partnership and out of their kind of shared frustration for the projects that they couldn't get made they stumbled across this idea of telling a story about a small town in which a young girl is murdered and how her murder in turn sparks this investigation literal because it's a criminal investigation of the murder and the mystery of who killed this young girl but also and kind of an exploration of the seedy underbelly of this town as her death spurs revelations of long-held secrets that kind of been going on for a long time in this fairly idyllic place in the Pacific Northwest. And that show eventually became Twin Peaks, which begins with the murder of a young girl called Laura Palmer, played by Cheryl Lee, whose body is found in the immortal and inimitable words of Jack Dance's Pete Martell. She's dead. Wrapped in plastic. On the shore of the kind of the the lake near this uh, logging town in in Washington state and her death in conjunction with an attack on another young woman causes uh, the FBI to send agent Dale Cooper played by Kyle MacLachlan in what may be one of the greatest performances ever to appear on television as this kind of hopelessly optimistic law enforcement agent who comes to town with all these with all these thoughts about tibet and zen and how to you know catch a killer through a holistic sense and becomes kind of a source of uh, amusement and amazement for the people in this small town but the show essentially over the first season which is only eight episodes is about cooper arriving in this small town getting to know the local people the the sheriff's department the kind of local business magnates who are kind of feuding over land rights the uh, people who live in a diner the kind of the small scale scumbags who are trying to help smuggle drugs across from canada and things like that and the show what has at the driving core this mystery of who killed laura palmer who killed laura palmer uh, around which it builds all of these interesting dynamics and character relationships which are kind of rent asunder by her death so the show is on one level, you know, it's it does what Lynch did in Blue Velvet, which was to kind of explore the seedy underbelly of suburbia. You know, you have this town which looks so prim and perfect and it has all of these kind of beautiful people in it, but they're all kind of messed up and strange. Laura herself being someone who, uh, you know, was kind of a, a drug addict, maybe kind of, uh, you know, kind of had a kind of a dark sexual past and things like that. And... You know, and that kind of the the sense of the the dark side of the American dream. These are all things that Lynch had explored in Blue Velvet, and kind of seems to fascinate him. You know, as he's talked about as being someone who grew up on TV and seeing these kind of like perfect worlds, and, and wondering, you know, what lies underneath that, what is driving all of these people who are live these kind of shiny, smiling lives. And but in addition to all of that, you know, it, it operates within the construct of a primetime soap opera which you know that's kind of what it looks like you have these people who are all sleeping together they all kind of have these that there's things like identical twins or, or cousins who look identical which is how they bring cheryl lee back into the show playing her own cousin uh, and kind of has all these plot 
machinations and relationships which all feel very familiar to anyone who's watched a soap opera but are they are kind of treated with a level of sophistication which at the time hadn't really been seen in television uh, uh, but also with this with this unique sensibility where the show was both arch but deeply felt um, so in the sense that you know that you see things like the character of Donna played by Laura Flynn Boyle who when she realizes kind of subconsciously that Laura has died because there's all these because because the police have arrived at school and a girl has run out screaming she just kind of cries for what feels like 30 seconds solidly and it's a moment that feels real because it's kind of like a real response to a sudden shocking trauma but also kind of feels also slightly ironic or detached because it's the sort of emotion you don't usually see in a primetime sitcom you don't see a performance that is really unabashed and human in that way and that's something that the show kind of did all the way through you know there was this playfulness between a sense that they were telly they were kind of making fun of primetime soap operas and how kind of ridiculous they are they're kind of having all these these kind of wacky characters one-armed men and whatnot these these things that feel like tropes from a very kind of trashy disreputable genre but they are injecting a level of kind of humanity and realness to it that you don't tend to see in those kind of shows so it was at one level a parody of a genre and a deeply felt and emotionally draining example of it uh, and, and layered on top of that was Lynch's surrealism, which is something that he kind of had toned down a little bit from his first movie, Eraserhead, which is just a complete kind of uh, a, a kind of just completely dark and, and surreal and on some level impenetrable movie. But then he had done things like The Elephant Man and, and Blue Velvet, which are kind of more accessible and Dune, which is just a kind of a complete boondoggle from start to finish. But on Twin Peaks, he really allowed, because he was given the time and space to kind of experiment and play around, most notably in the show's kind of dream sequences, which are much imitated and much mocked, but also much beloved because they are kind of these crazy, crazily inventive ways of advancing the plot through kind of three associative filmmaking and imagery which is something that hadn't really been seen on television before uh, and has since been kind of usurped in a major way by things like The Sopranos, which had a, an entire episode pretty much, the test dream or, or third of an episode which takes place entirely in dreams, which used a very similar approach and, and in the first season had a major plot point revealed second season sorry had a a major plot point revealed through tony one of tony soprano's dreams or buffy the vampire slayer which did have a whole episode as a dream where they 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 both kind of attempted to mimic the sense of unreality that lynch captured in twin peaks in his his stuff but then you know even aside from that there was all this stuff about kind of uh ancient mysticism and there was this stuff about parallel worlds or parallel universes aliens possibly the show got stranger as it went along and not necessarily for not necessarily to its benefit <laughs> the show as, as pretty much anyone who has seen the show and even the many of the people who involved the show will tell you it kind of went off the rails in its second season so so that's basically what you need to know in terms of the plot of the show on, on a basic level it was a murder mystery show about a young girl being killed in a small town where a fbi agent came along to it and then discovered 
uh, in his words, a world, a place both wonderful and strange. You know, a town that was full of these kind of beautiful, lively characters who were eminently lovable. You know, it was very hard not to be charmed by the town of Twin Peaks, as Cooper himself was, to the extent that he, you know, would always talk about how much he loved the, the, the just the, the, the basic things of life, you know, the pie and the coffee and the trees and, and this particular way of existence, even as he was being faced with moments of abject cruelty and violence he still seemed wonderfully bewildered by the town of Twin Peaks and the place and then you know kind of as as the show went along they added in these elements of like I say of mysticism of of um, the supernatural to an extent and a mythology that was never fully really explained on the show but again seemed to be about parallel places as it were not necessarily parallel worlds but certainly kind of like mystical spots where people could could move between different dimensions and demons that existed in those dimensions and kind of broke out and in terms of the the first season doesn't really have it much of that stuff it's pretty much just focused on the mystery and then the uh on, on one level you know the kind of the ways in which the grief in twin peaks and of the different characters manifests itself as they come to terms with laura's death and the and the truths that come out as a result of that and the the things that people discover about laura and about themselves and about the nature of the, the the history of the town you know that that's kind of the the big thing it is about the second season is less about that <laughs> the second season for a variety of reasons behind the scenes kind of conflicts mainly that david lynch and mark frost both pretty much left the show at one point or another to go and work on movies uh, the david lynch went and made the movie wild at heart with laura dern and nicholas cage which is wildly divisive but i love i think it's a kind of an amazing movie and uh mark frost went off to make a movie called storyville which i haven't seen but no one seems to know <laughs> no one seems to talk about much so i'm guessing it probably wasn't as good as Twin Beaks but they both left the show and kind of left it in the hands of other writers uh, and then kind of more to the point of, of one of the massive missteps in the history of the show was that seven episodes into the second season they were forced by ABC to reveal who the killer of Lorma Palmer is which uh, I won't reveal on this in case anyone's listening but you can look it up online it's kind of fairly easy to to kind of find out who the killer was but that removed a lot of momentum from the show it removed most of the focus and then they had originally planned to move on to a kind of a secondary plot line which would have been about the relationship between dale cooper and audrey horn played by Sherilyn fenn who was a kind of this ingenue on the show this kind of beautiful sexy young girl who cooper became fascinated with and who was in turn fascinated with cooper and kind of there was a tremendous amount of chemistry between the two characters there was this wonderful dynamic this sense of unrequited passion between the two of them which was then completely kiboshed because Kyle McLaughlin was uncomfortable with it which is understandable because it's a plot line that would have required him to as a kind of playing a man in his 30s to romance kind of a 17 year old girl so understandable why he was uncomfortable with it but it did kind of remove it did mean that they couldn't proceed with the plot line they had planned and then the show kind of became rudderless it became lost in these weird esoteric subplots which included amongst other things the character of james hurley who was kind of this biker kind of rebel without cause james dean figure just kind of driving off on his motorcycle and having boring adventures with a where he was romanced a married woman and then literally drove off the show and was never seen again which was ridiculous the character of nadine 
who was this kind of shutting in the first season, this kind of one-eyed shutting who became obsessed with trying to make drapes that you could shut and close without any noise, uh, being hit on the head, reverting to a childhood, to her teenage self and being given superhuman strength. There was uh, the character of Ben Horn, who is kind of the owner of the local hotel, who's a a kind of a, a a one of the minor vi- villains in the show because he kind of represents corporate interests in the sound deciding that he's going to just reenact the civil war in his office for five or six episodes in a row kind of creating this elaborate diorama and then believing that he himself is robert e lee which is um one of the one of the regrettable kind of plot lines in it um uh, uh and then the kind of the show kind of eventually sorted itself out to an extent and found a secondary plot line where it introduced this villain called Wyndham Earl who was a a, a long-standing enemy nemesis figure for Cooper who kind of comes to the town in search of what everyone refers to as the Black Lodge which is this kind of mystical place which supposedly contains great power uh, and, and it kind of gets a little more focused then because it becomes about their game but also the character Windermill is terrible and is really badly written and is really annoying and they kind of inject this character who decides that he's going to play an elaborate chess game against Cooper but the chess pieces are people and at one point he kill he tricks a guy who's in a band into getting inside a giant pawn kind of set um you know kind of a, a, a chess pawn suit and then he kills him and then he mails him to cooper and it's ridiculous and then there's another bit where he comes in dressed as a pantomime horse and tranquilizes another character it's just yeah it's just a really really ridiculous character and even though he gives focus to the show and maybe gives it um a little more oomph and momentum than it had had up until that point it ends the period of listlessness he ends up just being awful <laughs> and and the only thing that he's kind of work worthwhile for is he sets up the finale of the show which was this amazing horrifying nightmare <laughs> in which cooper goes into the black lodge and things get deeply deeply upsetting so if you haven't seen the show before and you're wondering where you need to start you pr- and if you need to catch up in time for the new season uh, which is starting on showtime tonight with two episodes and then another two are going to be available to stream online so you'll be able to dive right in for with four solid hours of the show the answer is uh, no one really knows because no one knows what the new show is like lynch has said that the film fire walk with me which was produced after the show went off the air due to kind of low ratings and because abc didn't really kind of like what the show was or had become so they just kind of moved it around and messed with it a lot is kind of important and that is in uh, in some ways a a prequel to the tv series it kind of goes into the murder of laura palmer and shows her last day and basically kind of reiterates all the stuff that had been revealed on the first season and the second the first half of the second season of the show uh, and then there's kind of more kind of background stuff about agent cooper and which also kind of delves into all of this uh, kind of supernatural stuff so i guess you probably need to watch that but really and truthfully if you're wondering what parts of the show you need to kind of really stick with and what are essential the first season is well the the eight episode third season is i think it has a claim to be the single best season of television that's ever been produced i think it's utterly wonderful and 
unlike anything that existed before or since you know there's a level of visual sophistication to it that was uh un kind of largely unknown on network television at the time and kind of created a visual language for television that kind of has kind of persisted since then it also introduced elements of kind of serialization and surrealism and the supernatural in a way that would become very mainstream in just a few years time with the x-files and all the shows that kind of came on from that and and you can see its influence spread out over the last 25 years in in like pretty much every good show maybe not the wire (laughs) the wire is not especially twin peaksy i guess but certainly even up to this year with the aforementioned riverdale which is so incredibly kind of Twin Peaksy in atmosphere and tone and plot that uh, you know it, it, it almost feels like a an amuse-bouche for the return of the show proper and it's kind of weird and wonderful that those two shows are have premiered kind of very close to each other in time so you have to watch the first season because it's just wonderful and even if this new show wasn't coming along this this continuation slash reboot slash whatever of the show starring basically everyone in Hollywood um, even if that wasn't coming along I would recommend everyone go and watch it because I think it's an utterly incredible kind of eight episodes and it's only eight episodes it doesn't take you that long you can watch it over the course of a, a day if you're really dedicated or a weekend beyond that Firewalk With Me is great but also very lynchy in a way that his other the, the rest of the show only slightly is and by that I mean that it's kind of aggressive and off-putting and pretty much daring you to hate it which is not something that I think David Lynch intends I don't think he sets out to make movies that people dislike but I do think that his particular style is so abrasive to a lot of people that a lot of people just can't get on with them and that's fine you know that's he's a very distinctive artist and if you don't like him then you'll never like him <laughs> because he's he's a kind of a, a, a an odd duck but um for my money a kind of a brilliant odd duck but you know if you want to then kind of delve into the second season which is uh, I would say the second season is pretty much inessential pretty much all the way through. Um, the first nine episodes are, are are kind of crucial if you want to see the re- resolution of the Laura Palmer plotline, and there are some amazing moments in there. The, the first episode of the second season is in some ways maybe the, pun, the pun not intended, the linchpin of David Lynch's entire career and or, or the, the career, that, the way that his career would go over the next decade or so because the first season feels very much like him working in blue velvet mode where it's existing within traditional cinematic conventions even as he's kind of exploring through sound and editing trying to make people uncomfortable and and to kind of suggest darkness beneath the surface with the second season premiere his use of uh, aggressive editing and kind of crude video editing techniques in particular to create images that are just discomforting not like graphic because the show wasn't you know even within the more mild restrictions of the time you know the the kind of the milder sensibilities of the early 90s or the late 80s it wasn't kind of particularly explicit or violent or anything he just had a really he was able to just use things like a post uh, post production zoom onto a man running down a corridor to make you feel kind of deeply unnerved, particularly when combined with kind of these assaultive 
soundscapes that he creates in the editing uh, and combines them with like uh, Angelo Badamalenti's kind of beautiful but horrifying score. can see the early traces of what he would then do in movies like Lost Highway or Mulholland Drive or Inland Empire which was kind of like the ne plus ultra of his very his his most aggressive uh style uh stylistic period and so from that point of view season two is important if you are already a fan of Lynch's work and want to kind of see where when he made that shift from someone who was this sort of pop art surrealist who was taking these images of America and finding what lay beneath them to someone who just threw his it upon screen. And some would argue that he had started with that eraser head and then just kind of refined it a little bit and then just went back to it. But I think in terms of his embrace of 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 editing as a means of making people uncomfortable, you can really see that in the the, the early going of Twin Peaks season two and particularly in the seventh episode which is called uh the, the the episodes don't actually have titles but they were given them when they aired on television in germany apparently so they all have titles now but originally they were just called like episode one episode two but in the, the seventh episode of season two lonely souls which is the one in which the killer is revealed uh, it has one of the most upsetting deaths i've ever seen in television this just really really harrowing sequence of 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 a character being murdered in just this real surprisingly upsetting and brutal way for for the show and again that's all lies in the way in which the scene is edited together using techniques like slow motion and and kind of a, a soundtrack that is designed to make you just feel uncomfortable in your own skin you know it, it you when you watch something like that you can really see what Lynch would then become in the years over the next kind of 10, 15 years or so before he took a, a kind of a long break from filmmaking, except making shorts and things online, which is, is one of the other things that makes the new season of Twin Peaks really, really exciting is that apart from the kind of few snippets of things he's done, this is the most significant thing that David Lynch has done since 2006 when he put out Inland Empire, which was... Um, one of the most memorable uh, cinema experiences I've ever had because I went to a press screening of it, the first press screening I ever went to, which is quite a way to start, and then you get a three-hour digital hellscape of um, Laura Dern going mad, which was amazing and kind of life-changing, but also not really what you want to see at, like, nine in the morning uh, when you're... um, barely awake and slightly hungover but that's neither here nor there but so this is this is his kind of return in a major way to, to doing something that is culturally relevant uh, in the sense that it's something that a lot of people are excited about and which a lot of people will see because it's going to be on showtime which is a fairly major one but but also you know worldwide it's being shown on like Sky Atlantic and things like that in the UK and I think it's, it's being picked up by a lot of other places it is as close to kind of simulcasting as you can get with television a lot of places all over the world are, are showing the, the stuff and it's debuting at Cannes which is amazing in itself particularly in light of the debate about Netflix movies 
being booed and things like that you know the fact that you also get david lynch showing up with a major new work and being greeted as a conquering hero for an episode of a tv show you know it's kind of a a fascinating snapshot of how bizarre the current situation in tv and and movies is and the kind of the blurring of the lines between the two but yeah if you 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 kind of um you don't really need to watch season two of Twin Peaks, basically, is what I'm saying. Like, if you if you want to just kind of hang out with those characters, there's a lot of that, but there's also long stretches of boredom. The only kind of, like, super essential episodes are that, those first nine, which wrap up the Laura Palmer plotline, and the finale, just because it's so, so kind of bold and dark and strange, an ending for the show. So uh, my recommendation would be watch the first season, watch the first nine of season two, read the Wikipedia entries for the ones leading up to the finale just so that you know what the plot is and then watch that and then watch Firewalk with me. Outside of that there's like ancillary products like there's a couple of books there's a a book which is the secret diary of laura palmer which has just been re-released and which was written by david lynch's daughter jennifer who um has her own kind of slightly infamous career as a film director on things like boxing helena uh it was kind of a notorious fiasco of the early 90s there which is fun uh and kind of a, a nice fun extra thing and kind of fleshes out the world laura palmer's kind of psyche and the world that she inhabits a little bit but that's everything it wants outside of the tv show is really kind of a fans only proposition there's a the tapes of dale cooper is another one because the 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 one of the the thing the defining things about dale cooper is he always has a tape recorder and he always talks to his assistant diane who may or may not exist (laughs) there's some debate about that i think about whether or not he's just saying it to kind of a anonymous non uh a real person that you know is at the bureau of investigation or if it's just something he does as one of his many many ticks uh, but that that kind of exists and is read by Carl McLaughlin and is cool it's a very kind of fun extra thing and perhaps most significantly there is a book which came out last year written by Mark Frost called The Secret History of Twin Peaks which kind of acts as a bridge between the original show and the the new iteration of it which seems to retcon a lot of things from the second season and maybe smooths over some of the details and reveals the fates of some of the characters namely the characters whose actors have now passed on you know people like jack nance who died in i want to say 96 or 97 uh, in a kind of a kind of a very sad way he got into a fight in a bar and he was kind of hit and then died of a i believe the sub sub Dural hematoma, I believe is the term, basically blood on the brain. Catherine E. Coulson, who played the character of the log lady, who is a lady who has a log, as you might expect, got one of the, the more beloved characters on the show. She passed away a few years ago and apparently is involved in the new show in ways that are currently unknown. My bet is that she's probably voiceover or something, you know, but it'd be interesting. They did. The, the kind of my dream would be like if part of it is just like Bella Lugosi in Edward where there's just some sort of iPhone footage or something that they've included somehow and they build the entire show around her but that that's one of the things that the that's the most significant thing that the secret history of Twin Peaks does other than delving into the history literally you know the actual history of of the town of Twin Peaks uh, going back hundreds of years and involving historical figures like uh, Lewis and Clark and things like that uh, which is all very fun and really does add to the entire mood of the, 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 the show and you know there's lots of inconsistencies between it which 
people have tried to rationalize online as maybe suggesting that this new shirt edition this new version of the show is going to be all about parallel worlds and like the secret history of twin peaks is actually of an alternate twin peaks to the one that we saw but that seems like a stretch i think mark frost just forgot a load of details or decided he wanted to just rewrite a bunch of details so that the new show could go off on kind of a stronger footing and not having to worry too much about all of the leftover threads from the 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 previous version of the show so that that stuff is kind of fun like i say it's kind of a fun addition but inessential but but in all honesty you probably just jump in with season three because as far as anyone knows it's a standalone thing that just kind of jumps straight in so we'll see how that turns out Usually we don't end mini-sodes with uh, recommendations, but I'm going to make an exception for this one because uh, I want to talk about the YouTube series Carboys, which just recently ended. For those who don't know, and why would you, um, Carboys was a YouTube series produced by Polygon in which Griffin McElroy, who is probably most famous for one of the three brothers of My Brother, My Brother and Me, and is involved in probably about 37 different podcasts and video series at this point. Wildly prolific and very, very funny young man. And Nick Robinson, another writer at Polygon, the two of them kind of have collaborated quite a bit over the last year. They've got a podcast called Cool Games Inc., which is hugely funny. And they do a series called Touch the Skyrim, in which they play Skyrim with lots of funny, strange mods involved, such as turning all the dragons into Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, And it's incredibly funny because it's amazing how quickly you can just completely destroy a game by applying mods to it. But Carboys was a show that they started about a year ago. It basically was created by accident they were doing a video in which they played through the soft physics simulator beamng.drive where you basically are given cars and you can just drive around these pre-created world and smash them up and see what happens and they were just doing a short video where they played it and it ended up being incredibly fun and funny and the ways in which the physics engine kind of messed up inspired them to turn it into a full-on series in which they just kept playing it and trying out all of these different vehicles that had been created by kind of the the community and going into all of these different worlds that had been created and things like that and inadvertently discovering a villain in the form of a crash test dummy called they, they called busto who they found would break the game whenever they interacted with and the kind of the 38 episode run of the show was a celebration of boundless joyful creativity because every week they would go into the show with some very broad ideas about what they wanted to do with for example discovering that there was a giant sledgehammer in the game that you could make twirl around and smash things really hard or going to a world based on uh, Yoshi's Woolly World or discovering these kind of weird little subplots for themselves such as discovering in the final run of the show a giant beanbag essentially that they nicknamed the blob who became their nemesis and the final arc of the show ended up being about them trying to defeat it and it was just this wonderful improvisational wildly creative show which ended abruptly because just as they kind of stumbled into the show itself by playing a game and finding out that there was a lot more to it than they had expected they 
wound up accidentally finding a fairly perfect finale for it and realizing oh this is the way the show has to finish and I think while I am kind of sad you know not not that sad but I am kind of sad that my Thursdays are going to get a little less joyful because I won't have that guaranteed injection of insanity and laughter that Carboys gave me uh, I do appreciate that they are willing they were willing to let the thing end rather than just keep going with it because I think and and Twin Peaks itself is indicative of this there is a movement in culture in general to not let things end and not let things die that perhaps should be allowed to die maybe that they've reached their natural end point maybe you don't need to bring Mulder and Scully back for another season and boy we'll be talking about that when it comes back um you know you it is okay for stories to end it is okay for people to walk away from creative endeavors and feel happy you don't have to just keep doing a thing because people like it you can just say okay this is it this is done uh and I admire that in Cowboys that they could have just kind of kept doing it instead they you know found a natural end point for the show and they for the moment, they're signature. I mean, maybe in like five years' time, we'll be talking about the reboot of Carboys. But uh, I just wanted to recommend that people check that out. You know, there's 38 episodes it's on YouTube on Polygon's channel, uh, and it's uh, incredibly funny and joyful and strange. And I think for anyone coming to it anew, it's fun watching the way in which the show very gradually grows and builds up its own mythology, uh, particularly in terms of like the use of the song uh, Claire de Lune by Debussy, which becomes central to the show after being just kind of a one-off joke in one episode. And uh, I like I like that. I like seeing a show build up its world in the most weird and unexpected ways possible. And that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, then please uh, subscribe on iTunes, raters, reviewers, all of that good stuff. You can also find us on Stitcher and Player FM or on Twitter at SRS underscore podcast and on Facebook. We'll be back next time with something entirely different and also we'll be back with an episode about the new seasons of Twin Peaks once it's finished airing, which will be in, what, 18 weeks or something? So towards the end of the year, we'll be back with an episode talking about whether or not Twin Peaks season three was any good. But uh, until then... Or until whenever the next episode of this airs, it's goodbye from me.